This is the Strong Manchester Women podcast with me, your host, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. And in this series, I speak to the change makers, activists, leaders, and trailblazers who make our city and beyond a better place to live, work, and play. So in this episode, I speak to... My name is Priya Chopra and I work for an organization called Saheli. Saheli provides support to women and children from Bama communities who've experienced domestic abuse. And we talk about funding challenges. We have been constantly fighting for our grants year after year. It has shrunk over the years. Making people uncomfortable to instigate a change have challenged the norm you know and I have brought up things that people sometimes don't want to hear. Finding courage. When the issue is such that we have to do something about it then then you do have to go that extra mile and take the risk. And much more. In the introduction there you heard Priya mention Bema communities. I asked Priya what she defines as Bema. She then goes on to tell you about the Sahili Project and how she got involved. So it's Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic and Refugee Woman. I think the word was initially BME, but it's expanding over the time because our communities are changing. You know, we have more asylum seeker refugees in the city. And often you find, you know, when somebody's experiencing domestic abuse, whatever country they come from, whatever religion, race or culture, we have to accommodate everybody's needs. It doesn't matter where they come from or what where they are from, but what matters is are they safe tonight? We have a refuge accommodation and which supports six families. We also have outreach services and a helpline and we run group works in the community. So Saheli was set up by a group of community activists. Um, it was set up from South Manchester Law Centre and there were a group of community activists who were finding many women who were coming to get advice, were experiencing a lot of abuse at home and they had nowhere to go. Some of the women, the risk was extremely high um, and it was felt, you know, they needed somewhere safe to be accommodated. And they came together and got a semi-detached house, got lots of donation and set it up very slowly, but were very persistent in their commitment. A purpose-built refuge was built up in 1993. And since then, the organization has grown to provide other services that I'd mentioned before. So I, I had just got married and came from India and I was really new to Manchester. And I live more towards Cheshire and it was, you know, I really missed the culture, the food, the people. So um, when when a job came up as a finance worker in Sahili, it was only four hours. I had just decided, you know, I'll, I'll get involved. It'll get me out of the house and an opportunity to meet different people. But when I came to Sahili, I, I just f- was completely 
taken back with the trauma and the stories and the experiences of many women who were living there and they often wouldn't recognize i'm a finance worker you know they would come to me asking for support and help and um, i just became involved the organization was very small at that time we just had me and a refuge worker and a part-time children's worker and the demand was huge even at that time you know we had so many calls women wanting to be safe to be able to get advice and help and just my journey in Saheli started from there and how many years ago was that it's about 25 years now wow it's been a long time i think i just came and then i couldn't leave yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we you know we then applied to uh, National Lottery we had just come out and we decide we really needed an outreach service because many women couldn't meet us or come to the refuge or didn't want to come to the refuge. So we applied for that and I got a full-time post um, and then over the years my role evolved, you know, transition housing benefit came in, supporting people came in and I was then made the chief executive. Through that time that you've been involved for 25 years mm-hmm. have you seen a a change in the demand for your services is there more people more, more women speaking out yeah definitely you know i think there is there's lots of awareness raising now on forced marriage and on abuse violence there's that reassurance that forced marriage is now being criminalized cohesive and control which is being rolled out as being recognized by women often they didn't identify the abuse they always thought they were to blame and with that the change has definitely taken place you know we we've seen a huge growth in number of calls we receive is it risky feeds to your job it is definitely that's why confidentiality is paramount very few professionals until 2 years ago were not even allowed to come to the refuge we've had incidents you know where the perpetrators have followed her and there've been incidents where two of our staff have been attacked in the past we are very careful not letting anybody know where it is based until 5 years ago we our number wasn't public so you couldn't contact us directly only police or social services could refer a woman but then we were finding many of the women didn't even know we existed we, then we took the risk and made a helpline number public and since then a huge number of women are contacting us directly but we have to you know i haven't been much although get lots of requests i haven't been on tv or you know we avoid and protect everybody in the team to make sure because it is honor based violence forced marriage domestic abuse are something that the community doesn't accept or believe and they will go at any lengths to bring the woman back home it's very admirable thank you very much yeah everybody here is so passionate about what they do it inspires us we get, get our courage uh, from the women you know i've seen li- lives being transformed and it is it is so we feel so humbled to see some of the women are new to this country they don't know the language they don't know how the system works and they have been controlled you know so many women come to the refuge who haven't ever been to a movie in a cinema they've just not dressed the way they wanted to dr- dress they they couldn't eat what they wanted to eat and just to have freedom it, it you really understand and you value what freedom really is and i think 
we are very privileged and lucky to have that. But when I, I watch the journey of these women, you know, how they transform themselves and how hungry they are to learn, to be educated, to be financially independent, to be able to be safe and, and keep their children safe. It, it is very, very inspiring. You know, it keeps the team going. Yeah. And, and, and they believe in themselves. And, and so many of them blame themselves, you know, because they feel they, they've done something wrong. That's why the marriage has broken down or they've left, left their parents down, their community down. And when they start understanding what healthy relationship is and they start understanding that they are not in wrong, it's like a, you know, huge guilt is taken off them. You know, they can breathe again. They can, they can start having hopes of, and doing something new, but also not having wronged anybody. I think they carry that burden quite a lot. And what's the what's the ongoing feedback from the community and the reaction from the community? It has been a struggle, you know, because we the community doesn't recognize or acknowledge and they often feel that we are able to deal. And if, if one girl does this, you know, others are likely to follow. It's not, not a norm, you know, it, it, our honor is at stake so there are lots of lots of multiple perpetrators the extended family for for an individual to do something is very difficult but um, you know since forced marriage became criminalized we were finding there were a lot of safeguarding concerns coming and we've had lots of contact with mosques inviting us with temples and Gurdwara now asking us to come and give talks and do awareness raising. So that has been much more awareness that has helped and we are finding more and more individuals who are now trying to come out and do something about this issue. There are small steps, but they're, they're really helpful. They're bringing the change that is so badly needed within the communities. And so compare that to when you started 25 years ago. Are you finding it not easier, but there's more acceptance I think the younger generation is more aware. They know their rights. You know, they know what the law is. You know, they know how to get a forced marriage protection order. And that is bringing the change as well. You know, there's more awareness in schools now, in universities. The religious places are still very closed up. But we, we are finding there are more and more people seeking help and getting the support that they need. With increased demand and awareness for the work of the Sahili Project, I asked Priya if she feels the pressure of funding cuts and having to fundraise for the amazing work that they do. It's a huge challenge. We have been constantly fighting for our grants year after year. It has shrunk over the years and it's been really difficult to expand or grow the organisation I remember, you know, when I started working in the refuge, the culture was so different. We would really spend time with women. We would sit down, have food, cook things together and really, really listen to her. But over the years, the paperwork has really grown. You know, we before we used to apply for three grant applications and we would get one of them. Now we have to apply for 10 of them before we get one. So it is taking us away from the work that we really should be doing. And the whole cycle of even other grants, you know, which come to by the time the project has grown and and really has started working properly, it's time to bring it to the end. And 
I think it really needs to change that. It, it has improved, but in recent years, we seem to be going back to olden days, you know, where the central government, lots of cuts have come to Manchester and lots of grassroots organization and bomber organizations, especially, you know, they don't have the capacity resources or understanding and knowledge how to sustain things and, and the changes are coming at such a fast pace. It's really difficult. How are you sustainable? I think our passion keeps us going. You know, we, we are so determined because we believe in the work that we are doing. We know there is not much more help available to women. And, and we get about 250 requests for the refuge space. And we only have, can accommodate very few families. And we are seeing more and more need out there. You know, we before we used to only have to help a woman to find safe accommodation now we have to ensure that she has food you know somebody's applying for universal credit there is lots of other issues that are materializing Our, my team is really passionate our board is very supportive we're doing everything we can to see that women get the help when they need it and and sometimes we can't meet the demand you know we let them down and that as disheartening that gives us most courage to apply for more mm -hmm. bids and do yeah. something different isn't it a shame or isn't it ironic that as your client base grows then your access to funding shrinks, shrinks. yes yeah it's really difficult at present you know trying to save Saheli is a constant battle for us I've asked this question to every strong Manchester woman that I've spoke to and it's because one I'm very nosy And two, I think a lot of people can learn learn from it, our listener. So working in your line of work, you are the CEO of a charity that is fighting for funding every day. You're coming across women who are suffering, who who have suffered from the hands of domestic violence and working in what can be quite a difficult community to spread that message. How do you like, how do you switch off? How do you look after yourself? Or, or do you find it difficult? I think it, it was really hard in the beginning. You know, like I, I have a lot of new staff um, last year and I see them struggling as well. It was really hard to switch off. Um, you would carry a lot of it to home. But I think with over the years, we sit down together, we talk to each other, we are able to offload, we get the support that we need. I think it, it then becomes practice. I used to just focus on problems before and that used to make things really difficult. Over the years, I've learned to find solutions and I've encouraged my team to find solutions. I think that helps us to not take much back home. Yeah, that's a really nice way of sort of flipping it from the negative mm -hmm. to trying to find the positive as well. Yeah. And also finding strength from within your team as well, yes, which is yeah. a really, it's quite powerful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of practice, but you can do it. Sort of. They still, there are certain cases that do shock you. You know, you will suddenly find that it just can't stop thinking. And especially in our field, we find things on how horrific is that? How can another human being do this to somebody? Those kind of things can really shake you sometimes. Hmm. But I think it, then your you know your determination and your resilience comes back and to say there is more reason to continue doing this work. 
the word resilience has come up so many times. It's such an important trait and a yeah. a trait that you develop over the years, isn't it? It's not something that you learn overnight. No, definitely not. And I think it's every time something has gone wrong, you know, we, we had a time where, where we, we lost lot of our funds and we would have closed down if we didn't raise money within six months and and you just kind of don't look at the thought of I can give this up you know I'm not going to be able to do it does doesn't enter your mind because you're so committed to the project and the work that is happening here you turn back and say look I will have to find a solution no matter what you know there is no turning back from here so those kind of things make you stronger you've done it once twice and thrice and then as long as you have your team and you have people believing in you it gives you that encouragement and power to carry on yeah it's almost like you're building yourself like a bit of a bulletproof vest aren't you yeah you are definitely and I think it's not just our resilience it's their resilience the women they inspire you know they are so resilient you know with except of in spite of all the limitations yes Mm -hmm. And I think women, when I look at the strong Manchester women, they're so, so, so resilient. You know, each and every one of them is has got such a story to tell about courage of setbacks and how they've overcome them. I, I think in so, some ways I have challenged the norm, you know, and I have brought up things that people sometimes don't want to hear um, or see Um like both, what, you like know, what, both. For example, I've been doing some work in the temples and the mosques, and I think domestic abuse is a subject. The when you walk into a mosque or or a temple, or or you know, the men and the women are separated up, and when you're talking to men, there is complete silence. There are no questions asked, nothing. And as soon as you are with the woman, there are 120 questions being asked. You know, they don't know the place exists, and there, and then there is always that fear of being recognized in the community you know she's from the domestic abuse field you always have to protect yourself you do have to go right till the top you know you have to evidence things and try and work towards to change what is not right and it it does mean uh, upsetting people sometimes but but it has to be done because unless they know what wrong is happening they wouldn't be able to rectify it chief executives in who are working for organization like mine often have to go and make sure you know things change you know and for that um it is it is not a straightforward and easy easy way to do it it's quite brave i think as well i think people are initially really angry and upset and but when they start realizing that something is not working and they they start questioning themselves and then then i have often found they do come round um and i think that's that's how change happens you know we do have to sometimes do things differently because you you can take an approach and if it doesn't work in a straight way you often have to take do things differently you've got to sort of make people uncomfortable to create a change haven't you you have to, yeah, yeah. It it is not calm waters all the time. They do get ruffled very often, and you grow in confidence and you grow in strength. And when you see something wrong, you do find inside courage within you to challenge it. I mean, so many times I think I can't be doing this. You know, it will really, really rock the boat. But 
when the issue is such that we have to do something about it, then then you do have to go that extra mile and take the risk. Have you become less risk averse as sort of you've got older? Definitely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think I do things and say things I wouldn't have said <laughs> 10 years ago, you know, from now. Yeah. And I, I think it makes you much more bold. And I think you learn. I have seen so many strong women, not locally, but also nationally, you know, um, and I've seen uh, when they are fighting for a cause that they strongly believe in. You do. Courage has to be a part and parcel. So you've just heard how risk-taking and courage is a trait that Priya admires in other strong women. I asked Priya who her role models are. Who does she look up to? So I have been inspired a lot by Marai, who was the chief executive of Imkhan, um, Pragna Patel from South Hall Black Sisters. I've worked very closely with Polly Neitz from National Women's Aid. And I think just journally... The local women really inspire me, the survivors of domestic abuse, the courage that they show, the resilience that they show have inspired me all along the way. Yeah, God, that's an, it's an obvious answer, isn't it? The, the women that you work with just drive what you do every day. Mm-hmm. So you, you were saying that you've, you've grown in confidence and your team's grown in confidence over the years. But what's your biggest achievement I think the biggest achievement is changing lives, you know, on everyday basis. You know, I think I've been very lucky and fortunate to be working here because I can do charitable work as a part of my job and get paid for it. Every day, bring a change in their life in some way. That is my biggest achievement. And what an achievement that is. Not very many people can say that they change lives every day so tell me about the moment when you found out that you'd been selected as a strong Manchester woman I was quite shocked it was a surprise you know a very pleasant surprise and then I got to meet lots of other strong Manchester women and sometimes I think we're so caught up in service delivery and in within our organizations we don't get much opportunities to connect and learn. And and it was a a huge learning curve. I was so inspired. It was lovely to meet such powerful women in the city. And I think the podcasts I've been listening to them have made it so real for all of us. I'm making our service users listen to it and the women in the refuge and our staff. We are all, all so excited to learn and connect there's so much passion in the city for helping other. It is amazing. Oh, that's lovely to hear. There might be some women listening to this who think, I'd love to do what Priya's doing. I'd love to work in charity or help other women in my community, but I don't think I can do it. Have you got any advice for those women? I think start with volunteering. We've often find, you know, many women who are not very sure can contact our organization they can contact different charities and spending time there and getting to know the work can make their confidence grow you know they really start finding out what they need to learn we have lots of placement students who come and do their placements here some of them have decided to stay back at Saheli others have moved on but they have learned you know what the sector is all about go and test it out ring people read about it find out 
Yeah, it's really important to go and have a look at behind the scenes of a charity, isn't it? Yeah, and for some people just love it and others just think, no, I really can't (laughs) be doing this. (laughs) As we come to the close of our conversation, I ask Priya how you can get involved and support the incredible work that the Sahili Project does. We would really welcome donation. We, we we help lot of homeless women, you know, especially when they're in transition. We're working with the council with things like food, tins, because they struggle. You know, they get housed somewhere far away and they may not have a food bank close by. They often don't have left home without money. We would love some people who are able to do marketing for us, help us with fundraising, you know, help us on our helpline, volunteer for us, overall raise awareness on that domestic abuse is a crime and it's not acceptable. Priya, you have been lovely and thank you so much and being well done in everything that you're doing. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. That is the last episode of this series of the Strong Manchester Women podcast. I've received so much love and positivity from people who have started crying in their cars at stories we've shared to people in countries miles away getting in touch to say how much the series has inspired them. Will we make a series too? Well, I think that's up to you. And also if I can find the funding for it to continue. Show your love for the podcast. Share the podcast. Tell us what you think of the stories that you've heard tweet us at Mike Media UK that's M-I-C Media UK with the hashtag strong M-C-R women we're also on Facebook too forward slash Mike Media UK or email us through our website mikemedia.co.uk your words of support could be what it takes to get a series 2 commissioned A massive, massive thank you for listening. It's been an absolute privilege and a joy to speak to these women. Sometimes I feel like I have the best job in the world and I hope you feel as inspired too. A big thanks to Priya, who you heard from in this episode, and a big thanks to each woman that's let me chew their ear for an hour or so right in the middle of their hugely busy schedules. This podcast is inspired by the annual Strong Manchester Women campaign, which celebrates incredible women doing brilliant things. The 14 women profiled in this series were selected for the 2019 campaign. To find out more about all of the women featured in this podcast and the Strong Manchester Women campaign, visit the Pankhurst Trust's website, pankhursttrust.org. For more information about this episode and all of the things we've covered, take a look at the detailed show notes that are attached to this episode. There's also loads more about the podcast series over on our website, mikemedia.co.uk forward slash strong Manchester women podcast. A big thanks to Manchester City Council and the Pankhurst Trust for supporting this podcast series. 
The Strong Manchester Women podcast is a Mike Media production and is presented, produced and edited by me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. The series has been made possible through the Centenary Cities Legacy Fund 